three, two, one. From down in the dirty bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Buzzardry. It is Monday night, April 25th at the time of this recording. My name is Ben Milam, and I'm here with my partner, as always, Patrick McGee. Pat, how you doing? Glad to be on after uh, running up the win streak to 14. That's exactly right, Pat. We are we're in uncharted territory, which we will continue to talk about. Uh, but before we get started, as always, this episode is sponsored by BigGoldNation.com, the rival's website for Southern Miss. It is the premier inside source for all things Southern Miss athletics. Check them out, BigGoldNation.com. All right, Pat. So I said, and as you said, 14 straight, your first top five ranking as a program, which we'll, we'll talk about those rankings, but we've got to talk about this past week, obviously. It's a perfect 5-0 and week, and as we talked about, there were – some potential trappy games in there. Uh, I think particularly you looked at those two midweek games, and obviously you, you really couldn't lose any of the weekend games to Rice. And you take care of business across the board. Uh, let's run through these midweek games first. Wins over Tulane and UNO for the second time this year. Yeah, so you beat uh, Tulane 11-5, to and uh, Tulane got on the board first. Uh, RBI grand out there in the second. Make it one nothing. Uh, but USM kind of uh, got a mini explosion there in the top of the fifth. You got a Dickerson RBI double. Uh, and then Rice's – or not Rice, Tulane's pitcher uh, kind of lost control there uh, in the mm-hmm. strike zone. He walked uh, Sargent in, walked Wilkes in. Uh, that made it 3-1 to one after five. Um, and then you get – you break it open there um, in the top of the seventh. You get um, RBI double from Lynch. Uh, then Lynch comes around, scores on a wild pitch, and then Montenegro hits a sack fly. So that made it 7-1. to one. Um, there um, at, at the uh, seventh inning stretch. Tulane made it a little interesting there. They put three runs up on the board, uh, bottom of the seventh to make it seven to four. But then you come back, you get two in the eighth, two in the ninth, uh, and you win 11 to five. So, yeah, Etheridge uh, got the start pitch well. Uh, four innings, only gave a one earned run, uh, four hits, two walks, uh, struck out seven. Then Boyd came in, uh, pitched one and two thirds. Um, he gave a two hits, four Ks, which was scoreless. And then uh, Rhodes came in, struggled a little bit. Um, Gave up a couple of runs, pitched two thirds of an inning, uh, and then Harper came in for the uh, last eight outs. Um, only gave up one run, uh, three hits, walked one, um, and then struck out five. So yeah, good outing for him. And then uh, UNO, which was the uh, Wednesday night game at home, you win that ten to five. And then uh, it wasn't good early. Uh, Tyler Stewart uh, wasn't great early on, or I guess he only pitched that one inning. But um, yeah, so. UNO puts three up on the board in the first, uh, two RBI double on a sack fly. Uh, but then in the um, in the second, McGillis hits a solo home run. Pato hits a two-run home run. Uh, that made it 3-3. Three to three. And Then UNO comes back in the fourth, uh, gets an infield single, um, and a hit by pitch to go up 5-3. to three. Um, And, yeah, so then you trade some zeros, and uh, then Gabe Montenegro hits the big three-run home run mm-hmm. just over the uh, right field wall. That was yeah. his first of the year to go up 6-5 to five there. Um, at the bottom of the sixth, and then uh, you, you get to the um, bottom of the eighth, and that's when you kind of break it open and give yourself some breathing room, some insurance uh, runs there at, before the top of the ninth. So, yeah, Rodrigo 
it's a two RBI single, then Gabe comes around and scores on a wild pitch, and then um, Rodrigo comes around and scores after a failed pickoff attempt at first base. So, yeah, then, yeah, you go up 10-5, to five and um, you had Rodgers there shut the door at the end. So, yeah, um, Mazza came in, pitched uh, two innings, best went one and two-third. Uh, Gallantine went one and a third, Storm pitched one inning. And uh, like we talked about, Rodgers pitched those last two innings. So it's kind of a bullpen, uh, very much a bullpen game, but Stewart only going to one inning. So, uh, yeah, you get those two midweek games, and, uh, you know, we kind of thought with a five-game week could be tricky, but uh, you're able to get both of them. Yeah, it sets the table, and it, and it sets the tone uh, going into the weekend where you, you felt good about playing Rice at, at home. Uh, but those, yeah, those two games, I mean, I think especially you look at that UNO game. At home, there are a lot of years, and we have, we've talked about the, the theme kind of continues here. You go down early, your starter doesn't have it. Uh, I mean, that that's – Pretty easily Stewart's worst outing of the year and only goes one inning complete. Really didn't have control of the zone from the start. I expect him to bounce back in his next outing. But you go down three to nothing and then you, you get it back and you have the energy and then you know kind of takes it back and it, you're a little lethargic in the in the middle innings and you know it, I think it starts to rain a little bit at one point and it just felt like that kind of game. Like, okay, here we go. This is this is the one we lose right here. Uh, to a team that y- you really should not lose to. Um, and then somebody steps up. It's Gabe Montenegro. And I think it was the Southern Miss Stats and Info Twitter page who's been uh, tweeting some really great stuff. Nine of the ten Southern Miss runs, a Montenegro was involved in the score. Wow. Rodrigo was that? on base, uh, the Peto bomb. And, yeah, it, there was a Montenegro involved scoring or creating the runs in, in wow. nine of the ten runs. <clears throat> Um, outside of the Will McGillis solo home run. So, yeah, the Montenegros are the guys that, that step up. And, he, and as you mentioned, the bullpen really pieces it together. Nico Mazza looked really good. Yeah. Um, and probably could have given you a little bit more, had a, a quicker hook on him. Obviously, that was that was his longest outing of the year. Hasn't really thrown a whole lot, but showed off some really nice stuff. And I thought everybody that came in pitched well, did their job. You mentioned Rodgers closing it out. Um, and, you know, in your second midweek game uh, of the week, back-to-back days, you still have pretty much everything left in your bullpen. That's uh, part of what makes this this team so good. So two really, really good wins going yeah, into the weekend. That's what I was going to say about just the bullpen. is uh, You knew some guys that had not pitched a bunch were going to have to step up. Yeah. Because you had Harper and Rhodes and uh, Etheridge had all, and Boyd had all pitched the day before. So you knew you are going to have to have guys like um, – Mazza and Gillentown and Storm that hadn't pitched as much. Yeah. Uh, those guys, uh, you know, they were good enough to, uh, you know, give you a chance to win. So, um, yeah, but I guess getting into that, the Rice. Uh, well, just, or, just one quick thing to add on the bullpen. I mean, th- those are the guys, as you were talking about, you know, those guys who haven't thrown a whole lot, Mazza, Gillentown, Storm, guys like that, that have been buried, you know, every other year they'd probably be, you know, top half of your bullpen coming out pretty early. Uh, some of those guys would be primary bullpen arms. These are the guys that are going to come in in some tough spots in postseason play. I mean, you look back in the past, guys that, you know, did not throw a ton, weren't really leaned on. Mason Strickland uh, is, you know, the one that immediately comes to mind, has to make a spot start and, and you know, has one of the greatest pitching performances in Southern Miss history. Th- these are the guys, these guys we haven't seen a whole lot are going to be leaned on in the postseason because that's just the nature of the postseason. So great to see, uh, to continue to see the bullpen kind of flex its muscles. So we can, yeah, go into this Rice series. 
I mean, yeah, I was just thinking, like, if you get into a fourth or fifth regional game, one of those guys, they're going to yeah. come in and get out. I mean, just look at Tanner right. Hall last year. I mean, that's how he kind of started his rise was that Ole Miss game where, you know, through five scoreless. So, yeah, yeah I would expect uh, at least one of those guys to be in a big moment uh, in the postseason where you need uh, to get some guys out. But, um, yeah, so uh, going on – or uh, moving on to the Rice series. So, uh, yeah, game one was really just the Tanner Hall show. It was, yeah, it was. Uh, you, you win one to nothing, and Hall went yeah. um, eight innings, didn't give up any runs, uh, three hits. He gave up three hits, um, one walk, and struck out 13. He struck out his first seven. Almost had an immaculate inning there in the first. Um, but, yeah, Peto threw out a runner top of the fourth uh, at the plate uh, for Rice. They kept Rice from scoring. Uh, and then, yeah, the only run uh, was Sergeant Sack fly there in the bottom of the sixth to put you up one nothing. That was all you needed. Uh, Harper came in, closed the door there in the ninth. So it was it was kind of uh, funny. We talked about like the Barry Bowden game in 08. Yeah. Um, another one nothing game. And yeah. I've said before, Tanner Hall is kind of like a – I called him a Whole Foods yeah. Barry Bowden. I like that. Um, he's kind of like an upscale Barry Bowden, um, uh, kind of a sinker baller uh, guy from Louisiana. So there are a lot of similarities there, I think. But, yeah, it was um, – yeah, I think Paul's certain best performance of the year from him. And I was looking at the game score – um, which is like a stat to measure pitching performance. And it's basically like it gives you starts. You can look it up. I tweeted out like the Wikipedia link. But uh, the, it starts out with 50 points. And if you get like after every inning, after five, you get three more points. After every out, you get a uh, point. And if, but then you subtract it if you give up a hit or a run. But anyways, there's been 14 game scores of 85 plus in the beer era. And um, Hall, yeah, got in that top 14. I think it was tapped for seventh. Um, I think the record uh, or the record is. Um, um, Hunter Stanley, mm-hmm. 99. He gets Middle Tennessee last yeah. year. He went uh, nine innings, gave up two hits, no runs, struck out 16. It was kind of like the USM version of uh, Kerry Wood struck out 20 against the Astros yeah. in 98. But, um, yeah, moving on to the uh, the next game, um, game two. So, yeah, you went six to three, and uh, Rice goes up one nothing top of the second. Uh, and then McGillis hits a uh, – a uh, huge home run there um, in the bottom of the second left fielder really didn't even move. Um, but then it really got um, really got kind of scary there in the top of the third. So Rice went up three to one. Uh, Riggins was struggling, even struggled a little bit with control. He walked walked a couple guys. They were squeezing him a little bit, but yeah. he didn't have uh, the usual strike throw and pitch ability that he usually shows. But so yes, three to one top of the third. Rice has a chance to kind of break it open there with bases loaded, nobody out, uh, and you bring in Rhodes and. Um, he gets a pop out to shortstop, a K, and then a ground out, um, one three. So that really could have gotten, uh, you know, five one six one. Uh, would made it tough to come back, and uh, Rhodes really put out the fire there. And um, but yeah, we talked about Riggins. He, he went two innings, uh, gave up three, three three runs. Two of those were earned. He gave up four hits, two walks, three Ks. So uh, kind of a, a regression because last week he was. Um, Last week was the FIU where he, he mm-hmm. kind of bounced back early on um, after struggling a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess we can maybe talk about later if you if you switch him and Waldrop. But, um, yeah, so the Rose comes in. The Rose three scoreless, uh, gave up one hit, only walked two. Um, and then, yeah, so you come back, get a big um, fifth inning, bottom of the fifth, uh, Charlie Fisher. Good to see Charlie. Well, I guess we'll get into the Wilkes injury. So Wilkes has the strained oblique is kind of indefinitely out. So, that brought Fisher back in. It was really great to see him at a ground rule double the opposite way. Drove in one. And then uh, you get a Blake Johnson two-run home run, and then you get a Gay Montenegro two-out, two-RBI single to make it 6-3 to three, um, in the fifth. Uh, and then Drew Boyd comes in, pitched really well. Uh, second time yeah. that week. 
uh, two scoreless innings, walked one, um, three Ks, and then Rodgers came in and finished it, uh, pitched two innings, uh, struck out three. So, yeah, another kind of a bullpen, uh, piecing it together type game. Offense showed up when it needed to, um, and you went six to three after it was scary early. But And then uh, game three was kind of the exclamation point. So, uh, McGillis had a um, RBI double there, in the, or you went 12 to two. Um, so that before we get into the recap. But, yeah, you went 12-2. And then so McGillis started off uh, RBI double there in the second and got one nothing. Uh, Sargent hits into a fielder's choice. It was almost a triple play, yeah. um, which I feel like that would have been like one of those only Southern Miss moments. Their bases loaded, nobody out. He hit a triple play. But uh, he gets the uh, uh, RBI uh, ground out into a double play on the fielder's choice. So you go up 2 nothing, um after three. And then Rice hit a uh, two-run home run there in the fourth opposite way uh, to make it 2-2. Two to two. Um, and then, yeah, but you come back in the fifth, you get a uh, Ewing double to left center, you get a um, E5, and then a uh, Lynch RBI uh, to make it 5-2 to two after five. And then the seventh uh, inning, that was the end of the game because you got a Sergeant RBI, an E3, a Lynch sack fly, and then Peto came in, uh, hit a grand slam to end it after uh, Fisher and Johnson. Both were hit by pitches, loaded the bases, and uh, Peto hit ball about 450 feet, uh, to end it, and Waldrop was good. Uh, went seven innings, gave up two earned runs, uh, five hits, walked three, but he had 12 Ks. Um, so it was a nice bounce back for him uh, from that FIU game. And uh, so, yeah, that was the sweep, first sweep over Rice ever. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, kind of bookends the, uh, you know, we talked about the only sweep prior to this weekend was that opening, uh, the first series these two teams ever played when Rice was number one in the country. Uh, and then the final series these two teams play, uh, USM gets their sweep. So, Two sweeps, first and last uh, times that these teams have played. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it finishes a good week. And one thing we did talk about last week, one thing you you said you were looking for is, is in this five-game week, you would love to see against some lower competition, you kind of run away with some games and be dominant. Do you? Uh, there was that in some spots. How do you grade meeting that? Uh, I think uh, you did for the, I mean, you go back to like Tulane, I know, like 11 to 5, I feel like, you, I mean, that's the thing with the midweek games is tough, like, for me, midweek games are just like, just win, any way you can win. Sure. Um, but you won 11 to 5, that's pretty comfortable. You and O, um, I guess that was close until the bottom of the eighth, we pulled away. Um, and then, I, I mean, I guess you can say you're a little disappointed in the offense, uh, game one, uh, just because you didn't really hit that. Uh, the Rice's starter at all, who looked like he was pretty hittable just based on the numbers. Although, he, you know, he showed decent stuff. He was, did, um, yeah. Barry was talking about that. Uh, and then you come back game two. I mean, you win by three runs. Uh, but then, I mean, yeah, exclamation point, um, game three. So, I thought it was fine. I mean, you didn't you didn't have a bunch of one-run games. Sure. Like you had kind of been having FIU. You won a game by, I guess, I, mean, the, I guess there were both two-run two run wins. Yeah, two two-run wins. But, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it was you, like – Saturday, outside, I mean, once you got up 6-3, you didn't really, really feel like you were ever in position to lose. You didn't feel that way on um, game three either. So, yeah, I think um, you met it for the most part um, outside of, you know, offenses struggling on uh, on Friday. Yeah, and, and I also talked about this last week. If you look around the country, and this was more the case two weeks ago, I guess. Um, I mean, the the even just looking at the top ten, you are gonna have some really good teams lose some games at some point, and you expect. I mean, you're probably gonna lose at some point in yeah. the re- the rest of the regular season. But it it shows a lot to go through these weeks against lesser competition, 
And again, pointing back to that UNO game, that even that Friday game with Rice, a 1-0 victory, you, you find ways to win when you don't have your best. And it's interesting to me that <laughs> I actually think uh, I saw a Mississippi State <laughs> fan, or maybe it was a it was maybe one of the twenty four seven guys for state who who said, um, you know, they haven't really been tested and worried they're, you know, peaking at the wrong time, setting up for oh, a failure. Yeah, that was that guy like lounge dog or something. Was it okay? I thought uh, I saw uh, uh, Robbie uh, Falk or He uh, said something like this team is bad news just because we were Okay. All, you're right. Because all the big he was right. being complimentary of us, but there was one of their fans like, Oh, they're peaking too early. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah I, should, I should have known that it wasn't one of the one of the experts. But I, I think there there maybe is something to that. We talked uh, we've talked about that before. You don't want to peak at the wrong time. There is uh you know there is something to that but I don't think you can say that about this team. I, I still don't think this team is playing their best baseball because, yes, you are, yes you have won 14 straight, and I think that is what makes this team uh, or have the potential, I guess, to be really, really great and have a special season and go play in Nebraska at the end of it <laughs> is because you have won those 14 straight when you are not playing your best baseball. But I, I still don't think we have seen the offense completely put it together and you look at uh, that Saturday game, Hunter Riggins doesn't have it, and the bullpen just kind of pieces it together. And you, you piece together some wins, still not playing your best baseball, but you, your less-than-best baseball is still really, really good. Yeah, I agree. I think your best baseball would be you pitching it like you're pitching it now, and then your offense starts hitting it like they were you know, kind of toward the end of that 2021 uh, in the regional. In Oxford, yeah. Uh, when you're putting up double-digit runs um, and, you know, hitting it really well. So, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think you, you have seen the best of this team yet. I'm trying to – I mean, I guess the best series, Western Kentucky is probably the most complete sure. weekend you've played. But, I mean, that's, you know, not really great competition. So, that, you know, you got to grade on the scale a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, he's getting to the point where, like, you almost want to lose a game. <laughs> Or, like, I mean, uh, you want to be selective with how you – like, you don't want to lose, like, a conference game. Maybe, you know, I don't know, to South Al, but you don't want to be in a position, I guess, to where, you know, you won 27 in a row heading into the regional. You know, like, oh, no, you don't want to – but, uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of I'm, – I'm kind of the guy that gets nervous with the more wins. Uh, oh, you're not the only one. I like can guarantee the, you that. When the Saints – I remember when the Saints went started 13-0 and 09, I was like, all right, it's time to – because I felt like – I felt like – Saints were going to go like 16 and over then lose in the first round of the playoffs. Yep. And um, not saying that's going to happen to this team, but you know, you're going to lose a game eventually. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you just enjoy it right now. It's, and that's a little difficult to do. Like you said, because <laughs> the better you play, the higher the rankings go, the higher the expectations become, the higher the pressure comes. Mm -hmm. And you just hope that the, you know, the team isn't feeling that as much as some of the fans are. It's kind of funny how that works. Um, let's talk about the rotation. You, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Hunter Riggins obviously has the worst day out of the three in the weekend rotation. But we have seen him be really, really good. And at the beginning of the year, he was kind of your most consistent guy in the rotation. But Tanner Hall and Herschel Waldrop, I think, pretty clearly are your first two that you would go to. Uh, in in big games, so do you shift the rotation at this point? I don't know. I think I guess you know you're still winning. So, um, but yeah, I'm just thinking about like a regional. So I mean, at this point, I was a couple of weeks ago I'm thinking, all right, well, Waldrop, he's our number one, and Hall's our number two, and Riggins is our three. I mean, now I think Tanner Hall is clearly your number one. Yeah. Um, Waldrop is two, and um, Riggins is three, and um, yeah. So I guess when you talk about like in a regional. 
you know, we can talk about regional strategy down the line, but let's say you get like an Alabama State or somebody in a regional. Do you pitch Hall or do you save no. them for the two or three? I mean, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I'm really greedy. I would, if you play Alabama State or like Grambling or somebody, I would pitch Etheridge. Now, I, I don't think Barry would ever do that. I mean, that's almost, when I mean, you're, I mean, you're starting, you're like a midweek guy. That's almost bordering on disrespectful. Um, you but, take the red shirt off a guy and throw him for his, his first Yeah, start. you put in like Colin Husser or somebody. He, he yeah. can start the game, um, yeah. burn the red shirt. But yeah, I, I don't know how they would, how you would do that. Because you go back to like 2017, and by the end of the regular season and in the conference tournament, um, you know, the rotation, I guess, was Colt Smith, Kirk McCarty, and Taylor Braley. Right. But when all the chips were down on the regional, you had McCarty going game one yep. as the ace, Braley two, and then Colt Smith three. So it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, maybe they keep it as the way it is, but then once regional gets here, based on the matchup, based on, you know, if assuming you host the strength of the four seed. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, to me at this point, though, I mean, the rotation in order would be Hall, Waldrop, and then um, Riggins. Um, so I, I don't think you have to change it because you're still winning games, but um, yeah. I guess it's certainly something to think about once uh, postseason gets here. Yeah, it is. And again, I, I think the difference is you have the bullpen to to back up a guy who does. You have the luxury of taking out Riggins through two innings when he just doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a lot of other years, you 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 know would not have the juice in your bullpen to to really carry you through pretty much a full game. And so, uh, yeah, obviously postseason is a little different. We'll we will cross that bridge when we get there. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm inclined to say. You, you stick with it because you're still playing really well and um, you, again, have uh, have the ability to lean on the bullpen when you have to. And that's that's not to say, you know, Riggins, I think the last couple of weeks just hasn't had his best stuff. I think you uh, are kind of expecting him to get back to the point that he was earlier in the year because he showed he can he can set down really good lineups. You can look back at that Dallas Baptist game two and, and how good he was there. And um, you would hope he gets back to that point. But obviously, you know, uh, a lot of other factors go into it, and you see how he throws the rest of the year, and, and you shuffle it based on that. We talked about the rankings, Pat. You want to break that down really quick? Yes, yeah, so you're three in perfect game, four in D1, five in coaches, six in Baseball America, and two in Rob's rankings, yep. so, which is the most important of them all. That's right. But, um, Should have led with that. <laughs> so, yeah, you're almost a, con- you're a consensus top six team. Right. I guess like collegiate baseball, we talked about them. They have us eight. Yeah. Um, they always have us the lowest. But, uh, yeah, rankings, you uh, go up a little bit in pretty much every poll. Uh, you're tied for your longest win streak ever, 14, tied with that 2017 team that uh, ended the regular season winning 14 in a row. And then uh, I was looking at this, looking up yesterday because I was curious that USM is now the fourth team in CUSA history to start 16-2 and two in league play. Um, the other three teams previously to do that, USF in 96, uh, they finished 20-4. and four. Uh, This was tw- the previous three teams to do it. It did end in a 24-game league schedule. Uh, Rice did it in 06. They started 17-1, and uh, Rice did it again in 07. Uh, they went 16, or he started 16-2 that year. Um so yeah, and I think um, you know you're 16 and two, and if you look at USA, USA is seventh on RPI and sixth in Massey. Um, so this is a, you know a top six seven league. So I, I think it's pretty impressive that you've been as dominant as you have. Yeah. Um, against a pretty good. I mean, I know we kind of like to dog CUSA a little bit, but it's, I honestly think CUSA might be better than it was. Last, as crazy as it is to say, because CUSA may only get like two bids, if that. 
But I think um, it's a little deeper this year. I think a yeah. lot of those teams at the top of CSA last year, you look at like a Charlotte, they were a little bit inflated based on their RPI. Um, so I think the middle, the uh, kind of the middle class of CUSA is a lot stronger than it was a year ago. Um, so, yeah, and you've been dominant um, in the league so far. So it's kind of interesting to see. Yeah. Only three previous teams have ever, had ever done that. Uh, start 16-2 and two in the league, so. Yeah, and that that the conference RPI has kind of slowly improved as the season has has gone on. And a big part of that is, like you said, kind of the meat of the conference has really improved. UAB, and we'll see this weekend. UTSA has has had a really good year, tied with La Tech for second place. Yep. UTSA, and that, I mean, fringe top fifty team. UTSA, that's a potential and top middle, fifty series. Middle Tennessee and, as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So there's, you know, well, I guess we can. Rolling to the postseason talk here, but uh, yeah, there you still have some opportunity to improve your RPI resume. Absolutely, because you're 12 in RPI now, which I think you basically stayed the same as you were last week, uh, which I was thinking we were kind of kind of dropped around 15, 16, but I guess maybe a bunch of the teams we played won or some other teams around us lost. But yeah, you're 12 in RPI, 86 in strength of schedule, so that went down, obviously. Uh, which you'd expect playing three games against Rice, but then 44 non-conference strength of the schedule, and so you're 7-5 and five top 50, 13-6 and six top 100. Now, Lafayette had a really good week. They yeah. went to Georgia State and swept Georgia State, which got them in the top 50. Mm-hmm. Tulane won two out of three against um, ECU, which got them in the top 50. And I think La Tech is number 50. But I was looking today, a lot of these teams have really – bad schedules down the stretch. They play some bad teams at home. So it might be tough for those teams to stay in the top 50, which is something I'm worried about. So let's say like, you know, like a La Tech and Lafayette and Tulane all fall out of the top 50. Well, those are, you know, six of your top 50 wins. Yeah. That means you, that means you get like one in three top 50, which is, you know, not really a, a great uh, mark on your, on your resume. So you want those teams to win the Tulane's, the Lafayette's, La, a La Tech too. I know people have been kind of rooting against La Tech because of the conference. Standings, but at this point, you're four games clear of them. Really four and a half because you have the tiebreaker. Four games clear. I mean, you're going to win the regular season barring a complete collapse. Um, so I think you, it's in the best interest for La Tech to uh, win. Yeah. They have a big series at ODU. I guess we'll talk about it a little bit later. But you're 13-6 top 100. Charlotte got the top 100, um, which gave us three more top 100 wins. Okay, they swept UAB. Um, but, yeah, so the, the projections, uh, D1 um, has this as a um, the sixth national seed. Uh, which would uh, obviously mean that you host a super regional if you win the regional. I had Florida State as a two, Alabama as a three, yeah. Alabama State as a four. So you get a real. I think Florida State. I mean, that's kind of a feel like that's the worst case number two because they have a really good roster. They have two really good lefties at the front, Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard. Yep. So that, that'd be very tough. Yep. Um, Alabama. I don't think that'd be a bad three. Um, Alabama really didn't scare me a whole lot. But and then Alabama State as a four, which would probably be the best four you could get. Um, and the Baseball America has this as the nine uh, paired up with uh, – oh, uh, D1 had his paired up with South Bend. Uh, so, if whoever won that, uh, South Bend Regional, which I believe was, uh, was Notre Dame, Rutgers, Florida, and somebody, the fourth state, like Wright State maybe. Um, and then uh, Baseball America has, had us as the nine, Virginia Tech, who might be playing their way in the, probably the hosting discussion. Yeah, they're point. close. Yeah. Um, Alabama's the three, Southeastern is the four, which would be, you know, kind of the almost the opposite of that uh, D1 production in terms of the four seed. You'd probably get one of the tougher uh, four seeds just because I feel like even though Southeastern, they're kind of around 500, but, you know, they're, you know, as we saw in that midway game, they could sneak up on you sure. if you don't play well, yep. uh, which I don't know if you can say about that about a um, an Alabama state. Um, and then um, 
Yeah, so the needs report needs report has gotten gotten more favorable for us. So it's saying 44 to 42 wins to be in the top 16, which means you would only have to go 8 and 7 or 10 and 5 to finish in the top 16. Um, and then for top 8, you need to get to 43 or 44 wins, which would be 11 and 4, 12 and 3. So, I mean, basically just to be top 8, you would have to go like 2 and 1 in midweek games and then finish 25 and 5 in the league. And that could very well get you in the top 8. Yeah. Um, which would put you in good position for the national seed. Um, another thing I tweeted out, there have been six um, since the BB Core era, so it's 2011 on, there have been six teams not in power conferences finished top eight in RPI. Three of those got a top eight seed, and it was um, Lafayette or um, I'm, I'm going to have Missouri State. Yeah, Missouri, St- um, Missouri State, Lafayette, and. Um, Fullerton were the ones that had gotten it. And, um, yeah, so here it is. Uh, Cal State Fullerton, 2013, they were the 5 RPI. They got a national seed. Lafayette, uh, 2014, they were the 6 RPI. Uh, they got a national seed. And then Dallas Babson, 2015, they were the number 2 RPI. They did not get a national seed. They got a host because uh, they were second in the Missouri Valley that year. Behind the next team we'll talk about is uh, Missouri State. So Missouri State won the Missouri Valley that year, uh, regular season. They were the 7 RPI, and they did get a ho- or a national seed. So even though Missouri State was behind Dallas Babson in the RPI, they waited the head-to-head series win and the regular season title. And then Stetson in 2018, there were the five RPI. They did not get a national seed. Um, and ECU in 2019, there were the five RPI. They did not get a national seed. So it's almost like a coin flip, I guess, because you've had three that have gotten a national seed at the top eight and three that haven't. So it kind of comes down to those top 50 wins. Um, yep. And, yeah, that's what we're kind of talking about, rooting for the La Tech and ULL and, and Tulane and Alabama. Um, cause I, it just, I feel like even if you had like a number six RPI, but your top 50 is like one in three, uh, that'd be maybe something that could keep you out of a top eight. Um, yeah. potentially it'd be a, it'd be a unique resume. So that'll be kind of something to watch. Um, but then, but yeah, so the schedule really does set up where your RPI, um, down the stretch. So after Southeastern, you don't play, um, any RPIs below 85, everybody else is top 85. Yeah. So yeah, it, like I was saying, if you just like go two and one in midweek games down the stretch, you finish the conference season. I guess you would go um, be like nine and three. So win three series, or you win two out of three, one series you sweep. That would very possibly get you in the top eight or at least top ten. So, yeah, uncharted territory, Pat. <laughs> Feels a little strange to be talking about national seed discussion. I think especially after that sweep in Dallas because you've really you know we we had, we were kind of wondering mm-hmm. if you were going to be able to to recover from that and you really really have um, and you really need need Dallas Baptist to uh, start playing better I think they may have kind of played themselves out of a host spot they're kind of fringe on that conversation but uh, yeah we, we will be as always keeping tabs on the non-conference opponents and uh, some good, some really good weekends from some of uh, some of those uh, current top fifty wins, but the regular season, yes, it matters. But uh, you know, in the end, it's it's the spot you put yourself in for the postseason and how you perform there, which is why you know we had that question um, from I forget who it was from. I think it was uh, from Will maybe on Twitter about whether or not this was the best. Southern Miss team of all time. I, I don't think you can have that discussion until until you see how they perform in the postseason. So, got a ways to go, obviously. And uh, four more important ones. They're all important from here on out. 
You go to Hammond tomorrow night, tonight, if you were listening to this on Tuesday. And as you said, a team that has the potential to sneak up on you, really push you to the brink. I mean, really push you to the brink in Hattiesburg a couple of weeks ago. And then you will travel to UAB. You can, uh, well, let's run through uh, both of those right now, Pat. Yeah, so Southeastern, uh, yeah, obviously Timmy played two weeks ago, but 17 and 23, uh, seven and eight in the South, and they were just swept by uh, McNeese. Yep. Uh, 126 RPI, 154 Massey, and they announced they're starting uh, Hunter O'Toole, who is kind of transitioned a midweek guy for them. Uh, he's, but I think he's second in the team at innings. He had been up, um, you know, yeah, I think maybe Saturday, but just some kind of weekend starter for him. Uh, but he's, he's a right hander. Uh, I think he had like a maybe a, I have to pull up the stats. He had maybe like a five ERA. Um, but yeah, and then so, but USM announced that they, USM has not put out a press release yet, but Southeastern has, and USM starting Matt Adams. Um, and he's the guy we haven't seen in a while. Yep. Um, so yeah, we kind of talked about guys having to, or that are going to have to step up down the stretch. Um, and in the postseason, this could be, you know, an opportunity for him to, if he pitches well, to get in that mix, um, in the postseason. Sure. So yeah, that is, uh, that is, uh, I guess if you're listening to this today, um, and that'll be on ESPN Plus, I think. So, uh, yeah, and if, you know, they get the call, if they get any calls, I won't complain. No, um, they've earned that. Although, even though I still think we would have came back, or not come back, we just won the game I there. Agree. And, and on the bottom of the ninth, or yep. in extras. But, yeah, and then uh, UAB, so UAB's 22 and 16, 8 and 10 in the league, 85 RPI, 107 in Massey. Uh, I can't, not a whole lot of information on them in terms of just, like, velocity as a rotation. Um, but they've basically run out the same rotation all 10 weeks. Um, at this point, because I think all three of their guys have 10 starts, exactly. So, uh, Friday, Jackson Reynolds, uh, he's transferred from Auburn, it's 291 ERA, 114 whip, uh, 16 walks, 57 Ks, and 58-plus innings. And you have Tyler O'Claire, 605 ERA, 181 whip, he's walked 28, struck out 39, 38-plus innings. And then Brooks Walton, 441 ERA, 122 whip, uh, he's walked 9, struck out 27 and 49 innings. So, uh, yeah, I can't find any velocities on these guys, but, I mean, Reynolds, just based on the numbers, I mean, obviously looks out of the best stuff, pretty decent strikeout numbers, about, a, you know, K-9 of about oh, nine. Uh, and then Walton, I guess, just based on his, he only struck out 27 and 49 innings, I guess probably a lot, I would have to guess, kind of a mid to high 80s type guy, pitchability. Um, and then Eau Claire is a guy, struggled a little bit with control, has the worst numbers out of those weekend starters. But all, all three are um, right-handers. Uh, which is uh, good for USM being a uh, lefty-heavy lineup. Offensively, uh, 796 OPS, uh, 280 batting average. Uh, Christian Hall transferred from UT Martin, uh, his best hitter, 1063 OPS. He's at eight home runs. They have a, a transfer from an NAIA school, uh, Josh Sears, who has hit 10 home runs. I think he plays first base for him. Uh, so they're a team. They're improved. Uh, I really like the uh, Casey Dunhire, and they, they were just swept at Charlotte. Um, so now, I mean, they're kind of, in a position now where they're fighting to get in the conference tournament where they were in a good spot mm-hmm. uh, before last week. Now a little shakier, especially, um, you know, with us coming to town, um, that has the potential to, you know, put them further down in the standings. But, um, yeah, it's, a, you know, UAB, I think everybody's always kind of scared of UAB just dating back to that 2011 football game. But they've also snuck up on us in baseball. Remember 2016, we lost two out of three there. Um, that we had beaten maybe a top ten Ole Miss team in Oxford in a midweek. Uh, and then we went to UAB, and they took two out of three from us. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, again, it's a, it's a series you should win with a chance to sweep. Um, but, yeah, you, you never know. They're a team that um, 
that yeah, they're a team that has the capability oh, yeah. um, to potentially scare you just going off past history. But yeah, again, this is a team you should be able to handle. I feel like we say, I feel like we say the same thing about these opponents every week, but uh. yeah, well, it's a it's a continuing theme I, thing. I think the rest of the schedule is is lower competition and. You know, I would include Ole Miss in that at the end of the year, which is kind of funny. <laughs> oh, I guess we can talk about Old, Old Dominion. I've been looking at some Old Dominion stuff. They really yeah, scare me. They you, can really swing the bat. Yeah. They can really swing the bat. Um, and, yeah, UAB certainly a capable team, uh, just <laughs> just like every other week, like you said. But I, I think maybe especially so this weekend. I, like we, I, I think we might have mentioned it last week. When you look at the schedule in terms of – when you're looking for a trap series, this is is um, you know I think this is the definition of a trap series. You your first top five ranking in program history. You go on the road, and a team that has I mean they have beaten Alabama twice. Push really should have beaten Mississippi State. I guess that was a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, I think uh, I, on that Friday. It's it's going to be tough. Uh, but I think you really need the the bats to be really good all weekend, uh, which is true every weekend. But I think I think those are uh, they've got some arms that can uh, some give you some some trouble. A couple of good bullpen arms um, on the front of that bullpen as well. And so you got to be you got to be really locked in. And uh, I think there will there will probably be some uh, Southern Miss support there. But it's you know it's a it's not a close drive and so you're going to have to kind of create your own energy it's not going to be a, a great atmosphere uh, which is you know pretty typical of, of road conference USA series and you have you've met that challenge to this point but UAB is a really really capable team in a lot of respects yeah they are and um is UAB had actually UAB played Southeastern earlier, earlier in the year uh, at Hammond and took two out of three. So just kind of a comparison between those two opponents. But yeah, I actually got my tickets uh, today. I, it was undecided on going, but I'm thinking, well, USM, we're top five. I'm just trying to take in as much as I can. So I'm, I'm going to make yeah. the trip uh, to Birmingham. Well, good. I think I I would expect USM, I would expect to be majority black and gold. Okay. Um, I would, yes, it's a pretty small stadium though. Um, yep. But, yeah, I would expect the seats uh, to be a lot of USM fans, so, but we'll see. I don't have a whole lot to add on, on this upcoming week. You got anything else? Uh, I think that's it. All right, let's take uh, a look around what happened for our non-conference opponents and around the conference this past week. So UNA swept at home by Eastern Kentucky. Uh, they're kind of 270 RPI, so they, they are weighing down your RPI. But um, Jacksonville State took two out of three um, against um, Lipscomb. Uh, we talked about ULL, had the big sweep at Georgia State. That'll put them kind of in that regional mix. So it could be a three-seed in Hattiesburg, uh, potentially. Yeah. Um, DBU had another bad weekend. Uh, lost two out of three at home to Southern Illinois. And then within the league, uh, MTSU took two out of three at La Tech. MTSU is around 50 RPI. They got a series win at Auburn. So that's a team that could be in the at-large mix, um, potentially. Uh, Marshall swept uh, WKU in Bowling Green. Uh, it was kind of a rough look for WKU. Um, and then I have it wrong on here. Uh, UTSA swept FIU. I have it as FIU sweeping UTSA. It was UTSA uh, that did the sweeping there. Uh, Old Dominion took two out of three at FAU. Old Dominion is playing a lot better. I was looking at their lineup. I mean, we're going to get into Old Dominion next week, but they have a guy, they have a guy who's hitting like 370 with like 21 home runs. 
and they have another. They're second in the country in home runs. They have another guy with like eighteen home runs. Another guy with fifteen home runs. Another guy with ten home runs. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that Elon team in '09 mm-hmm. that like had all the that video game numbers. But that that is a that could be a tricky series because they have a bunch yeah. of. They're gonna probably have six lefties in the lineup. Um, so that is a series that scares me. Scares me because they have, um, you know, we have three righties. Yeah. And they have a powerful, uh, mostly lefty lineup. But yeah. we'll, we'll get into that next sure, week. Sure. Sure. Uh, then Charlotte. We talk about swept UAB at uh, Charlotte. Uh, and then midweeks, a uh, little or a couple midweeks, um, notable midweeks. WKU goes to Louisville, uh, UVA. I think that game is at the Norfolk um, minor league park, but UVA and Old Dominion. And then Texas State and UTSA, which was a pretty good game uh, last week. Uh, yeah, that is at uh, the Burt Bath. Uh, and then non-con, UNA and Jackson's, or Jacksonville State, they play again. This is the second weekend series they've played. Uh, so your first two weekend opponents there. And then ULL goes to App. DBU goes to Illinois State. And then within the league, you get uh, the uh, the Mets-Yankees of, uh, of South Florida, FIU at FAU. And then you go to yeah. Charlotte, at Mar- or Charlotte at Marshall, UTSA at MTSU. That's a big series. I mean, whoever wins that could have. Uh, really put themselves in the um, the at large picture there, but uh, La Tech at ODU—that's another series. Um, yeah, I mean those are almost feel like whoever wins those two series, those are going to be the two teams that could get that second um, bid out of CUSA, or at least put themselves in position um, to do that. And um, I'm trying to think. La Tech has, yeah, I guess they've already played UTSA and MTSU. Uh, then WKU at Rice, uh, bottom. Uh, Two of the bottom three teams there, so that is uh, that's what's going on as you was saying. Yeah, kind of a big weekend. Um, yeah, you would. I, I don't know who you would. I don't know if there's any, any of those you would pull for. Latte go to you. I, I I think you're. I mean, because Latte is kind of fringe. They're right there at the top fifty. I think you would kind of hope that they would win that series. And you know, just side note on on ODU, you were. For next weekend, you are very happy that is at Pete Taylor Park. Uh, certainly, that'll that'll give you an advantage there. Um, yeah, not a whole lot to add on Conference USA. Uh, really good to see Lafayette playing well, and really need to see them continue to win. But uh, not not just a ton. Um, Georgia Southern number two. Yeah, RPI. How about that? That's my Sun Belt update. And they also they had lost uh, one of their guys to uh, Tennessee, Chase Delander, who's going to be like a top ten pick in twenty three. So they lost uh, a guy that would have been Friday night guy for them, and uh, they're yep. a lot better than they were a year ago. So maybe they added a bunch of talent too. Yeah. What is the, what's the RPI of the Sun Belt? Uh, uh-huh. it was it was high, it was five for a little while, and um, eight. CUSA seven. Okay. West Coast Conference six, Missouri Valley five. Yeah. So Sun Belt a little, I guess a little top. Heavy relative yeah, to yeah. Conference USA. And the, I mean, they have, I mean, UTA, who won't be in the league mm-hmm. uh, after this year. And then uh, who's the other? Um, Little Rock, 219 RPI. Yeah, so you, bottom two RPIs are teams on the way out. Um, so that sure. you took those two, two teams out and you put like USM and ODU in there. Could be top five, top six. Yeah, could be. Anything else to add on anything, baseball or otherwise, Pat? Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, in terms of, uh, our Tyler Stevenson went to Illinois, Chicago. Oh yeah. Waylon Napper yeah. to Longwood. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Longwood, the, the team that, uh, beat us in 2019, the CIT or CBR or whatever it was. Yeah. Oh, he also got a commit today. Um, offensive lineman, Luke Rogers, uh, from Brandon, 
Um, he was a three-star um, O-lineman. He's actually the brother of a Will Rogers quarterback of Mississippi State. Um, so that is, um, I was going to, we were going to, or I was going to maybe do like a recruiting type deal, just kind of go over um, kind of some prospects that USM might have been on, but I, I never got around to writing that. But um, yeah, because um, I was just kind of looking. There's a bunch of guys, though, in that, in the Pine Bell that are kind of like those low to mid three stars that uh, you really want to be able to get uh, if you want to get where you're going. And, uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, uh, Rogers, I think it was like an 82 um, in the two for seven. Um, yeah, they haven't had the composite, which the composite is the one where um, it takes two for seven rivals, um, ESPN, basically all the major recruiting services and puts them into one. He hasn't gotten that ready yet. Uh, but yeah, offensive line commit there from Brandon. Well, yeah, we will uh, we'll stay up to date on, on all the offseason goings on for football and basketball. Oh, this is one thing I meant to put on the notes. Uh, Reese Ewing uh, reported... It's this is we don't know the full story, so this is not a confirmation of that. But uh, could be out uh, for for some time. Uh, we don't know the timetable. Don't know any details on that. But I, I did want to touch on that because that can really shift you in the outfield, depending on how. It, I mean, if he's if he is out for any length of time at all, that would really shift you because you kind of had that issue at the beginning. Uh, of the year when you know you thought you had it solidified with Slade Wilkes and Wright and Charlie Fisher as your DH, and now if you lose your guy in left field, you kind of have to shift some things. And I think there are three, two or three different ways it could go. But uh, yeah, what what would you see in the outfield as far as shifting that? Yeah, so uh, with Will, I mean, obviously you have Wilkes out too. Well, that's yes. Yeah. So I mean, notwithstanding that, that, yeah. So I mean, if you had Wilkes healthy, you could put Wilkes and right, and then Fisher at DH. Well, now you're going to have to keep Fisher at DH, and you're going to have to um, find somebody to play right field. And uh, so I mean, your options would be like Brady Faust, um, possibly. So you would move Peto to left, is what you're saying, or so? Oh, or, 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 or sorry, I'm getting it. Yeah, obviously Faust would go to left. Yes. Um. And yeah, Montenegro and Peto would stay where they are. Um, yeah, so yeah, Faust, Cedarberg, um, you know, those guys haven't done a really much with the bat. Uh, I don't can't remember the last time Cedarberg even got in a bat. Um, but I mean, those early, are, yeah, yeah. I mean, the offense is not as deep as it's been in years past. You, know, you go back to like 2017, you could put a guy in there like a Casey Mack or a, a Jake Vianney, and you don't really have. Uh, that luxury with this team. So, yeah, I mean, you, you go with the Cedarburg, you go with the Faust. Um, yeah. I mean, you could – I cannot imagine they would burn a red shirt off somebody. Like, I, I can't imagine they would say, all right, we're going to put in Colin Husser for, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, Matthew – I mean, the the guy I would kind of want to say out there is Matthew Russo. Russo. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he could be like – First a, baseman. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't yeah. – I mean, that means you have to put, you know, like, unless you bench Fisher, you maybe you could put, like, Faust – um, and left, and then Russo could be your DH. I just feel like he'd be a lot of fan favorite. He's kind of like a Kyle Schwarber type. He's gonna be really good. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't. He's probably not ready at this point. But he's a guy I could see hitting a home run or two. He's probably striking out a bunch, but he would, you know, hit two or three home runs, and everybody get excited. But yeah, I don't know. But I think I, my guess is Faust will start in left, and Fisher will DH. Yeah, that's. I I, I think that is. You know, just, uh, I mean, Gabe being out, obviously, Faust saw time in center field in the offseason. But I think I, I think Faust is kind of the first guy off the bench 
in terms of the outfield. And yeah, he was, he struggled at the plate. He really did. And, and, uh, at when he was in place of gay, but we've talked about it. I mean, he was one of your best bats in the fall and early in the spring. So he is very, very capable of, of swinging a competitive stick. So, uh, that's kind of my guess is, uh, especially with Slade out, you keep you keep Chuck at uh, DH and you put uh, Faust in left. And you could, I mean, conceivably, if you don't feel good, you know, if Faust has not played a ton of outfield, and so you, you know, could maybe put him in center and shift Gabe over to left if you feel like Gabe would be more, or Faust would be more comfortable in center. And obviously Gabe has is, is played left field. I think maybe, again, depending on if, number one, Reese Ewing is going to be out and how long Slade Wilkes is out is also a factor. But I think you could also, there are just several iterations that you could see, and you, you might see multiple in these next uh, couple of weeks if, if Ewing is out uh, for that time and if Wilkes is out for that time. So, so some shifting to do there, and uh, ho- hopefully you don't have to, to cross that bridge. Yeah, so I was just looking at it. So you've got 13 guys that have swung the bat um, in twenty um, in 2022. Um, and then, obviously, two of those guys were thinking are out. So the only guys left would be uh, Cedarburg and Faust. Yeah. Um, unless, I mean, I guess you could theoretically um, – I mean, you could DH whoever's not playing catcher that day um, if you don't feel good with um, – with Fisher, so they'll say, you know, yeah. Johnson's catching where well, you put Montenegro, Rodrigo Montenegro, DH, and then Faust in the outfield. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they don't, if assuming that's not an option, um, I mean, yeah, it's going to be Suderberg and Faust are going to start games unless they um, burn a redshirt off somebody, uh, which I, ju- I just don't think they would do. I, that would be a last resort. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, Faust just looked it up. Faust and Suderberg are two for 20 on the year. Um, so, yeah, that's not great, uh, especially compared to Ewing, who has <laughs> yeah. uh, been one of your better hitters this year. Yeah, so you certainly hope that uh, he does not miss any time, and if he does miss time, it's it's not significant. And uh, obviously hope he would return for the postseason if, if he is out uh, for that for that long. Um, so we will uh, keep tabs on that and see what they run out there this weekend if, if uh, Ewing and Wilkes both have to miss a little bit of time. Uncharted territory, Pat. What uh, I haven't asked you in a couple of weeks. What what month is it? It is only April. Only April, man. It uh, feels like we have both flown through this season, and we have been in it for about ten years. So, <laughs> having a lot of fun. Sit back and enjoy it. Try not to stress out too much. Golden Eagle faithful. This is a fun and special year, and these guys have a, a chance to continue to to do special things. So. Five games on the road ahead and uh, yet another challenge that these guys will face. So we will be with you next week, as always, on Tuesday in the morning is when we will release it. This episode is always sponsored by BigGoldNation.com. That is Patrick McGee. My name is Ben Milam. This has been Buzzardry. Hope to have you with us next week. This has been Buzzard Dream. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share and leave a review. 
You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzard Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.